identity. The challenge behind this series is a simple little phrase. It's to discover. To discover identity. And there's so many different things in our world that are trying to help us to discover our identity. If you look at the TV or the news or ads or in the internet, they will tell you what you need to buy, how you need to look, what you need to do. And as a husband, as a father, this is cool. See, this is the epitome. Lots of things are vying for our attention to say, this is your identity. But what we find in the Word of God, the Bible, we discover true identity, not in our circumstances or our wealth or our education or our height or our looks or our heritage. It comes in Christ. And the last word is really key. Christ alone. We don't add Christ. We Christ and him alone, we discover our true identity. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've placed your trust upon him as your Savior, repented of your sins, the Bible says that you have a new identity in Christ. And that's exciting. All of us have a negative past. We don't carry around the label of our past and say, here's who I used to be, and I'm still that person. That's who we used to be, and now we are forgiven people in Christ. Our principle for today is the same principle we had last Sunday. We're building on that principle. It's this, in Christ I can know and live the truth. Let me give you a little bit of background of this book of Colossians. And I've been sharing this all the way through because I think it's very important to know a little bit about the heritage and the context of of these books. In modern day Turkey, there was a town or really the ruins of a town called Colossi. Colossi was a relatively small city down the road, about 160 kilometers from the big city of Ephesus. It's kind of like Perth versus Bunbury. Now, we understand that Bunbury is the center of the universe, but it's the small small city compared to the big city up the road. And the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, had written many, many letters and had books of the Bible because he was writing to encourage. And he had gone and spent three years in the big city of Ephesus. And people were saved. They were baptized. A church was established. People came from other places and also heard the good news of the gospel. And then they returned back to their homes and started churches as well. And that's exactly what happened in Colossae. People came to know Christ as a Savior, were saved, discipled, and and sent back in order to start churches. And one of these men was a man named Epaphras. And in A.D. 62, he went to Rome to visit with Paul. While Paul was actually in, in house arrest in Rome, and he was writing during this time. And Epaphras comes and visits with him and to share the news of what was happening in this community. This church community in Colossae had a reputation, and it was a really positive reputation. It says in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it talks about the reputation. It says, since we have heard, they had a reputation of faith. They had a reputation of faith in Christ. You see, these people 
where they lived was not a Christian community where they had a long heritage of Christian faith and they were just continuing that on. They had totally broken away from the old way of living. They were the different ones. And they needed great faith in order to do that. It was faith in Christ. They had a reputation of that. Faith in Christ Jesus. And also, they gathered together as a local church, and they had love for one another. It says, and love that you have for all the saints. Saints is another way of saying Christian believers. And they've all come together in their faith, and they're loving one another, they're encouraging one another, and they're looking forward to heaven one day, and they have a reputation of their great hope that they have, hope laid up for you in heaven. This is a pretty good church, but there is a serious issue taking place. Their pastor, Epaphras, went to the Apostle Paul and asked for some advice. And that's why we have this book called Colossians. It was written to address some serious doctrinal error that had come in. This doctrinal error was, it's commonly known as Gnosticism, which literally means to know. And it sounds so good. And the way they presented it, it sounded so spiritual and logical, but it was fundamentally flawed and wrong. The Gnostics believed that Jesus was not really God. He was spiritually God, but not really God. And if Jesus is not God, then we are wasting our time here. We have no hope whatsoever. So the Apostle Paul writes them a very strong but loving letter addressing this very serious bad doctrine. And as he's writing to them, He challenges them through the first chapter and gives them encouragement. And he talks about how he prays for them and he has great, great thoughts for them. He says, I think about you all the time and I pray for you all the time. And he says, I work really hard for you. And last week we began this message. This is really the second part of last week's message. Well, we talked about what you need to know. And what you need to know is three things. Comfort from Christ, community in Christ, and also confidence through Christ. You see, much like this church in Colossae, I think we can actually have the same sort of problems that they had. We may not be suffering with Gnosticism, but there's other things that happen in our life where we, we just simply have head knowledge about God. And we don't have heart knowledge. You see, Jesus being God, we can have a head knowledge of that. But if we're not living it out in our heart knowledge, we don't, we're living in our heads. We go, okay, I cognitively understand this. But when it's in our hearts, we actually experience comfort and community and confidence. When we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we go from having a head knowledge of hope and love and peace, and we actually experience the true comfort, community, and confidence. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. We have it in our head. We go, okay, I know that he's coming back. He's going to rule the earth and we will be with him. It changes when we have a heart knowledge, when we can experience the comfort and community and confidence of knowing what is true. 
Then the Apostle Paul continues on. He starts off with what you need to know. And he says in chapter number 2, verse number 1, he says, For I want you to know. And that's the first five verses. We're going to go back to chapter number 1, verse 28, which lays out the whole reason why he's writing this. And he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching with all wisdom, so there's some desperation behind his words. He is not just writing and going, whatever you want, just go ahead. It doesn't really matter. He's writing here with a sense of desperation. He says, proclaim and warn and teach everyone with all wisdom. And here's the goal, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Spiritual maturity is the goal. And spiritual maturity requires growth. There's an old saying, and I know you've heard it before, healthy things grow. And the opposite, I believe, is also true. The opposite is unhealthy things, the opposite of grow, shrink, or even die. Now, we're not talking about our salvation here. What we're talking about is our spiritual growth, our maturity in Christ. Healthy things grow. My wife and I are not very good gardeners. And we would we would not survive the, the, the bitter Australian winter uh, if it was provided by if we had to provide our own food. But we do have some success. There's a lime tree. And anytime I talk about our successful garden, I talk about the lime tree. Because we had two lime trees previously in pots for years that we watered and fertilized, but they never produced any fruit. And we thought it was us. But no, it was them. Because the last time we put a lime tree in, I actually put it in the ground rather than a pot. And rather than just sticking it in this high-quality soil that we have here in Dialup, this high-quality yellow sand that we have around my house, I dug a big hole for this little tiny tree, and I spent a lot of money on a little bag of very expensive dirt, and I mixed it all together, and I put it in the hole, and I followed the instructions correctly. And as a result, a few years later, we have tons of limes, almost enough to share. The real goal it was we wanted fruit. In a similar way, God wants maturity in us. He wants you to know him as Savior. He wants that relationship, but he doesn't want to leave you in a pot just to maintain. He wants to see you grow into something mature and fruitful. And that's exactly what we see here. So what we need to know, but next part is what we need to grow. And that's what he addresses in verses 6 and 7. And what we need to grow, there's three points this morning. If you have your bulletin, you can follow along inside your bulletin. We have thankful, moving, and learning. And my challenge to you this morning is to remember at least two of the three points, but also challenge yourself over lunch today to see if you can remember what the points were from today's message. God, I challenge my kids all the time, and their reward is they get dessert. So if they want ice cream today, they better know the three points. Colossians chapter number 2, verses 6 and 7. If you see it in your Bibles, you'll notice it's just one long sentence. So we're just looking at one sentence today in the, in the Bible, and it says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What do we need to grow? We have three points. The first point is thankful Christians grow. It says they're abounding in thanksgiving. That word abounding literally means to be super abounding. Like if I looked up that word in the Greek, the definition was super abounding to be in excess. My sister, I have two sisters. The younger of the two sisters is a great gift giver, but she's also a tremendous gift receiver. You buy her the simplest little gift, and she goes, oh, it's wonderful. And she makes a big deal about the simplest little gifts, whereas I get something and go, well, thank you very much. I try to be grateful, but it's hard for me to be overly excited about socks and undies. And she gets the simplest gift, and she makes a big deal of it. And it's, it's a joy to see her open a gift because she makes such a big deal. In fact, because she's my sister, I laugh at her. The question for you and I is, for what are you thankful? I paused for effect there for a moment because I want you to think for just a moment. For what are you thankful? And the natural response that I'm going to propose to you that you probably said you thought exactly what I thought initially. As soon as I think about being thankful, I think about my family. I think about my health. I'm thankful for my stuff, whether it's my car or the other toys that we have. I'm thankful for holidays. I'm thankful that it's going to have a public holiday on Tuesday. Now, all the things we're thankful for. Have you ever stopped to think about being thankful for things that are hard to be thankful for? On Tuesday, we're going to re remember Anzac Day. And the men and women from Australia and New Zealand that were in war together. And it began in the First World War. And you think about the warfare of the, the day. There's a picture on the screen of the trenches in, in somewhere in Europe. And you, if you've ever done any research about the trench warfare in Europe in the First World War, it was horrible. And to think you're standing there in a trench and someone's going to call out charge and you're going to jump out of this trench and run toward the enemy machine guns knowing that they're shooting directly at you. There's incredible bravery there. And war is a horrible thing. I don't wish that upon anyone, particularly not my own children. But you ever stop to be thankful for the, I have no doubt, the men and women who came to know Christ as their Savior during times of battle, the revival that would have taken place as a result of wartime, and in the scheme of eternity, our short time here on earth compared to eternity, knowing that people came to know Christ as their Savior, I'm not thankful for the war, but I'm thankful for those who came to know Christ as their Savior as a result of the war. So the question again is, you know, for what are you thankful? You ever stop to think about being thankful for your unhealth? The bad diagnosis? On Thursday, my wife 
and family. We were in Perth and my wife had a, a scan and a biopsy and the, the initial prognosis is very positive and I'm very grateful, but we didn't know initially. And she'll find out more this next week. You know, you hear, you need to go have a biopsy. You need to go have a scan. And, you know, it, it causes us to pray. It causes us to recognize how much we love our wives. It causes us to recognize how grateful we are for our help. At the same time, as you ever stop to think, I'm thankful for, if, even if the prognosis was bad, could I possibly be thankful for that? God, thank you for my unemployment. And that's not just because we're lazy. God, how are you going to work in this situation? Thank you for my being homeless. Thank you for this struggle that we're going through right now. In your bulletin, there's a QR code, and it says the Zach Smith story. And I would encourage you in your own time to scan that QR code, and it will take you to a YouTube video about 20 minutes long, and it's a powerful testimony and video of a man who had cancer. And in your bulletin, I have the quote there. He says, cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. That's a really hard statement. And he died literally weeks after making this video. And I want you to recognize that, not to be morbid or overly, overly dramatic, but recognize how in the face of something horrendous, we can be thankful. And if we want to be growing Christians, we need to be thankful even in the hard times. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer why it went away, and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy, and I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer, and I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. I know Zach Smith's dad and he's a good man and Zach grew up in a Christian home hearing all about the good news of the gospel. He heard it all, but when it becomes real, that's when your faith really gets to shine. I heard this quote this week. Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what they are until you put them in hot water. 
And it's very much the same for you and I. In order to grow, we need to be thankful. Thankful Christians grow. But the second point this morning is moving Christians grow. Moving forward. It says in that passage in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul here, in one sentence, gives us ammunition, in a sense, for volumes of teaching, because he's a very visual learner. And he gives us some illustrations, some very practical illustrations. The first illustration we see is that of walk, to walk and move forward. It says there, so walk in him. When we are sent away on a journey, the journey often is very, very scary because we don't know where we're going to go. The beautiful thing about the Christian life is we are not doing the Christian life in our own strength and our own power and our own ability. The literal thing is we are following Jesus Christ. You ever heard the phrase to be a follower of Jesus? I'm a follower of Jesus. And we, it rolls off our tongue, but it's actually theologically absolutely true. So we're not leading the way with God following behind us. He is leading the way and we are followers of him. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of you and I to perform? All we have to do is follow Jesus and walk in in him that it, it takes so much pressure off of you and i and it also allows us to move forward with confidence so first of all the illustration was that of walking to walk forward the next illustration the apostle paul uses is that of rooted and built up and there's two illustrations there and i'm combining them together the rooted is to go down deep with the, the deep roots the built up is the strength to go forward and to build a high tower or much like a tree to go to go high you need deep roots out the front of bunbury baptist college there is a tree that was a pretty good-sized tree that about four years ago they cut down because for some reason they didn't like the fact that it was dropping big branches over the kindy playground area. I don't know why. And so they cut down this big tree because it was dropping branches, and they tried to kill it, and they, they cut it down right at its stump. But if you notice out there, they've been trying to kill it again and they've been spraying some things on it, trying to kill that tree because it re-sprouted and there's branches growing up actually quite tall off out of that tree because even though the top was chopped off, the roots were still alive. And for you and I, in order to grow tall, we need to have some deep roots as our foundation. We need to be moving to be stay grounded because in our lives, the storms are going to come. Difficulties will come. And as we're walking forward, it's not a smooth path as we walk and move forward. It's a rough and hard path. And we need to stay grounded so we're not slipping and falling. And the beautiful thing we see is that we have 
spiritual maturity as the goal. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4, verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We can be strong and deeply established. I've already admitted to you that my wife and I are not tremendous gardeners, but I try to keep the weeds away. And if you noticed, it doesn't matter how dry it is and how dead the grass is, and if your neighbors don't water or you don't water your grass at all, you will still have green weeds. And if you get enough of them, it actually looks quite nice. And when you pull out one of these weeds in the middle of summer, it doesn't have shallow little roots. If you pull them out correctly, they'll have a long, deep root that goes down deep. It's always hard to pull out. And that's why you end up ripping the head off of them, going, oh, I'll get you next year. And they grow back again. Same thing for the Christian life. We don't want to have shallow roots. We want to be deeply rooted down so that we can be grow strong and grow up strong. The next illustration the Apostle Paul uses is that of being established like a strong foundation and to stand firm. In our lives, we need to be moving forward and walking forward. We need to have a deep foundation. But when the tough times come, we need to be able to stand firm. Again, the Bible just uses the illustration of Satan shooting darts at us and standing firm against the wiles of the devil. And it says they're established in the faith just as you were taught. One of the worst feelings is that of being lost. And you don't know which way to go. And you don't know whether to go left or to go right, to go forward or backwards. And it's a horrible feeling. And how do you know that you are in the right place? Now, some of you here are younger. So I'm going to talk to the younger generation. So basically, if you're under 25 here. Back in the old days, there used to be a thing called a map. And when you drove in the car with your dad, and if he was lost in any way, he would pull the map from a secret spot right next to the driver's seat and fling it at you and ask you, find out where we are and find the street. And you would go through, and the map had all, I lived in Perth, had every street in Perth on it, and you flipped through, and after a while, you became an expert. But one of the most unhelpful things is when you had no idea where you were. And you have no idea which way is up, which way is down. And then going back about 10 or 12 years before all of our GPSs were on our phones. And I've noticed the GPSs on the phone has a different voice than the old GPSs were. The one that you used to use the suction cup on the, on the windscreen with. And they had a voice. And when I bought my first GPS, I bought it in the United States, and it had the American accent. And the lady in the, that spoke there was quite gruff. And then I found Jane. And I went through the list, and I, I downloaded Jane's voice. And Jane was an Australian, and she was much, much happier and perkier when she would give, it a, give the directions. But when you go the wrong direction, what would they say? They would say, recalculating. And you make enough cho bad choices or wrong turns, it will go recalculating. And then a couple of moments later, recalculating. This is just me thinking this, but I'm pretty sure it got snarky after the third time. And like, hey, recalculating. Listen to my directions. 
in order to stay firm, in order to know where you are, the beautiful thing is we do have a map, the Bible. In a sense, we have a GPS to show us the direction, to show us where we are and where we're going, so that when we go against the wiles of the devil and the, the fiery darts of the devil, we can stand firm, not in ourself, in our own strength. It says they're established in what? Established in faith. That faith is not how strong we are. That's the faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It says in Ephesians chapter number 3, verses 16 through 19, it says, According to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may, here's the goal, be filled with all the fullness of God. We have a wonderful privilege to be filled with the fullness of God. God blesses us with everything necessary to live the Christian life successfully. Maybe you're like me, where I come up with some, in my mind, some really, really good excuses to not do what it is that God wants me to do. Given an opportunity or presented with something, the rational things go through my mind, and I have these really good excuses of, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't know enough. And there's always a great excuse. Now, great is a bit of sarcasm there. A great excuse to not do what it is that I'm supposed to do. God blesses us with everything necessary to live the Christian life successfully. I should have added one more word. Today, because guess what? Tomorrow, he'll provide something new. And the next day, he'll continue to provide. And if you don't have enough knowledge today, guess what? You get into God's word, he will give you enough for to be obedient tomorrow. And the blessing of that is every single day, we're continuing to grow. And that changes the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view others, but also the way that we view the scary opportunities of the future. So a growing Christian, thankful Christians grow Moving Christians grow. And then the third and final point is learning Christians grow. It says in that passage in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, just as you were taught. That word received and the word taught in that passage are two different words. They were originally written in Greek, and the two Greek words are different words with the same basic definition. They basically mean learned. As you learned Christ Jesus the Lord, just as you were, it's a bad English, just as you were learned. Just as you learned all about Christ, just as you learned about your salvation, about his wonderful free gift, how Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross, rose from the dead, how he takes our sin and replaces it with his righteousness and his forgiveness. And when we learn about that, we're continually in a sense of wow. 
It's a powerful perspective when we get to delve into the Word of God. This morning, we're just looking at one simple little sentence. And we're delving into it. And words mean something. And something powerful about the Word of God. That's why I like to refer to not, not just the Bible. It's the Word of God. God put things in the right place in the right order. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this in the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote three words. He wrote, Christ Jesus Lord. And interestingly, because he's addressing and arguing against false doctrine of Jesus really isn't God, he addresses and uses a phrase that he uses nowhere else in any of his other writings. He says, Christ Jesus the Lord. To define Christ and Jesus and Lord, we see the salvation source. First of all, the word Christ literally means Messiah. The nation of Israel, even today, is falsely looking for their Messiah to return. But he returned 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus. So first of all, the Apostle Paul says Christ. He says Messiah. You learned the Savior, the Messiah. Secondly is the name Jesus. Jesus' name is a, was a common name, and, but it's a name that literally means God is salvation or Savior. So here he's saying, you learned Messiah, you learned God is salvation. And he also says something really powerful here. He says, Lord. He's calling Jesus God. Since you learned, not as just as Jesus, your Savior, not just as he is Messiah, he's also supreme in authority. He is God. And because we have learned, now we're going backwards. Remember we started at the bottom to work to the top. Now we're going to go backwards from the top back to, to the bottom. Because you have learned that Jesus is Christ and Jesus and Lord, then we now with confidence can move forward in this life and be thankful in the good times and also in the hard times. Imagine how different that is for the people that lived 2,000 years ago in Colossae. But what about for you and I today? We live in a world where this is revolutionary. Those three points again. Do you need to grow? Be thankful, moving, and learning. We simply take one little verse, and there's so much truth in there. 